Hi, I'm Dan Webster, film critic for Spokane Public Radio and blogger for Spokesman.com. And I'm Mary Pat Truthart, part-time film critic, full-time law professor at Gonzaga University School of Law. And I'm Nathan Weinbender, also a film critic for Spokane Public Radio. And welcome to Movies 101, the show that is a big fan of the auteur theory, even if such a collaborative artistic activity as filmmaking is, and always has been, far bigger than one single person. That said, we movie fans do get excited to check out the latest films from our favorite directors, and this past week was no different. We had the chance to see Perfect Days, the latest offering by German writer-director Wim Wenders and Japan's nominee for Best International Feature Film. And we also saw Drive Away Dolls, a film directed and co-written by Ethan Cohen, he of the famous Cohen Brothers filmmaking team. We'll discuss both movies along with the biopic Rustin, starring the Best Actor Oscar nominee Coleman Domingo. But let's start with a project that finds a sense of zen in a collection of Japanese public toilets. That project would be Perfect Days, a film that started out as a Japanese public service project but ended up being made into an Oscar-nominated feature film. German filmmaker Wim Wenders had been invited to check out 17 redesigned toilets in the Shibuya district of Tokyo, and he decided to construct a film around them, co-writing it with the Japanese producer Takuma Takasaki. He focuses on Hirayama, played by Koji Yakusho, a man who lives alone and whose days are what, to an outside viewer, would seem to be little more than an exercise in sameness. He gets up, does his morning ablutions, heads to his job, which involves cleaning a series of Tokyo public toilets, goes to the same couple of spots to eat, returns home to read, Faulkner is a favorite, goes to sleep and dreams. Then, along with admiring the majesty of trees, the next day, he does it all again. His routine is altered only slightly by having to deal with a lazy co-worker and the woman the young man lusts after, by the occasional lost child, by the ex-husband of a cafe owner who shares some serious news, and by the runaway daughter of his sister, the latter of whom holds a key to how and why Hirayama's life has turned out the way it has. Yakusha won the Best Actor Award at the Cannes Film Festival, and his efforts underscore the quiet, meditative power that Perfect Days imbues. Add to all this the music of Lou Reed, Van Morrison, and Nina Simone, among others, and the result is, quite simply, a vendor's masterpiece. And Venders has said that he was inspired by the work of Yasujiro Ozu, one of the great Japanese filmmakers, in his approach to Perfect Days. And you can certainly see that, you know, especially in the way that he's kind of looking at objects and places as they exist and the environments around them, light through the trees, clouds, rain, all of that stuff. And the Um, dream sequences that are in black and white, which is what Ozu worked in. And and I also think that all of Vendor's predilections are in this movie, too. I mean, his fascination with sort of how people go about their days. I mean, think of the angels observing people in Wings of Desire. He's always had this fascination with cities and countries and places that aren't his own. You know, think of Paris, Texas as a great Mm -hmm. example of that. One of the great films about America made by a German filmmaker. And then there's the music. I mean, Vendors is maybe not the first name you think of when you think of directors known for their soundtracks, but he's got some great ones. I mean, the Ry Cooter soundtrack for Paris, Texas, Until the End of the World, you know, famous 90s soundtrack. And then, of course, Buena Vista Social Club, the documentary that he directed. And the music in Perfect Days is a really important part of it. This cassette collection that this guy has. And at one point, the younger co-worker he has 
tries to convince him to sell these tapes. He's like, cassettes are in right now. You could make like a serious amount of money. And he just will not part with these tapes. And, you know, the songs by the Velvet Underground and the Kinks and Patti Smith really add to, you know, the fabric of this movie. And we're talking a lot in the past weeks and in coming weeks about the Academy Awards, which is not the ultimate arbiter of what is good and important and even lasting. But, you know, we like to kind of talk about it because it's fun. But if there were any justice in how the Oscars are doled out, then Koji Akusha would be up for Best Actor. Like you said, he won at the Cannes Film Festival. But it's the kind of understated performance that Oscars almost always overlook because it doesn't seem like he's acting. He's just inhabiting this man. But that's really hard to do, especially if you've seen Yakusho in any of his other roles. He's probably best known to American audiences for being in the original Shall We Dance. He's in that horror film Cure. He was in Babel. So you might recognize him and go, what do I know him from? He's just been around for a long time. And I loved his performance in this movie. He says maybe a hundred words. He has so little dialogue because we're just watching him do these things. Like you said, waking up, taking care of his plants, going to the same restaurants he always goes to. And then he encounters these other people who sort of upend those routines, Mm -hmm. but in ways that make him appreciate those mundane routines even more. Mm -hmm. So this is a really slow, meditative movie. I was also thinking of the work of Jim Jarmusch, who is a friend, a longtime friend of Vim Vendors. The way that they approach real life and quote-unquote real people are very similar. So yeah, it's slow. It is meditative. That is by design. But I got pulled into it. And by the end, I mean, the last shot of this movie or the last shot of our main character in this movie is kind of quietly devastating in a way. But there's still so much unsaid and unknown. And that's what I appreciated most about this. Yes, because if you're like I am, I kept waiting for some big reveal. And it almost happens. Right. It almost happens, but not quite. I was convinced in my own mind because you have to appreciate fully the steadiness of what you see on the screen. So I was fully prepared for a big reveal like he had been an English lit professor uh, Mm. and something went awry and that's why he is doing what he's doing now. But that doesn't happen. It's funny. I had my own theory about what we were going to learn about him and I was wrong. Right. Yeah. And I agree with you. These other people come into his world. And I specifically remember his interactions with the bookseller because she's one of the few people maybe in everybody who he encounters who he can have sort of this conversation with, minimal as it is, about books. And the only criticism I have of this movie is this guy drives a lot because he has to go from place to place. And there's never really any traffic. That's my only complaint <laughs> well, about He's always the movie. driving against traffic. He is. Because, he is, yeah. actually. He's going in weird the, times of day. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And he can arrange his schedule. And so I kept also waiting, maybe because he's cleaning these public toilets, to see something that was like off-putting, <laughs> yeah, disgusting, well, we know. and yeah. that does not you happen. Want I want to tell him. Yeah, no, yeah, no, I keep no, waiting no. for it. Instead, <laughs> instead, that's another little cute thing that happens. I don't mean cute in a bad way. Is when he finds the little tic-tac-toe note. Yeah, you know, great and, touch. And, and it's just nothing, but it's ever bit as important as any of the people he meets, well, except and, maybe for his niece. Well, but there are these little details throughout Perfect Days that are kind of indicative of how Vendors makes these movies that are about other places, like I said, other than Germany, you know, where he's from. 
because there are all these little details about just his daily life where I thought, I'm sure that's how that really is. Like, you know, he also takes his bike everywhere. He doesn't lock it up anywhere, and it's just next to all these other bikes that are unlocked. I was just thinking also about all these public toilets. Like, can you imagine in America that service being available? So now I'm just thinking, like, wow, that that's an interesting detail of this man's life that I am kind of – experiencing through him. And so I appreciated that about it as well. well. The cultural specificity, which I'm assuming is authentic. Well, and these toilets are beautifully designed. (laughs) And and I think it's sort of a classic thing that when you travel outside the U.S., some of the facilities work differently. And so he has to encounter people who don't know what to do. You know, and Perfect Days is filled with ironies. One of the big ironies for me is that he basically is working at a job in which nobody really notices him. It's like, you know, he's part of part the of scenery. the facilities yeah exactly. he even but will he, put out he'll even put out the little sign that says out of order and people just go in yeah way exactly and he has to stand to the side the irony is that he notices everything yes he yes. notices the homeless guy who does mm-hmm. kind of like a crazy tai chi yeah. kind of dance and you know the, he knows the woman that's the, sitting on the bench next to him every exactly day. these that, people that, that have their park. own right. routines. Yeah. he's the one who saves the little boy you know mm-hmm. or comforts the little boy and the mother never even sees yep. him never even looks at him but the little boy, one of the touching parts is she's walking away, waves at him. It's such tiny little moments. And then moments. he takes these photos with this, like, Canon, not disposable it, camera. But, it's an Olympus. Oh, okay, sorry. Oh, <laughs> how horrifying I made yes, that error. Yeah, yeah. And so he takes these photos. With, with real, real film. film yeah. yeah. And then he gets them developed. But he's very discerning about the ones that he keeps. And mm-hmm. to our eye, they don't really look that much different from one another. But they look a little bit like his dreams. Yeah, for sure. And and then he opens his closet and you see all of these boxes, presumably filled with other photos that are dated and that go back weeks and weeks and months and months. And there are just so many things about this character that we never figure out. And I don't know, there's something about that mystery that makes it so much more effective than in like an American movie. No, absolutely. Would have just outlined Here's the tragic thing that happened to him in his past. This is why he's like pathologizing this character. And Vendors doesn't do that. He's too subtle and too, I think, empathetic of a filmmaker. There's one line delivered by his sister, and you know everything you need to know. At any rate, that was our uh, discussion of the Japanese language film Perfect Days. This is Movies 101. It's time to take a short break. Before we go, remember that you can access podcast of Movies 101 by going online at SpokanePublicRadio.org. Well, there, check out the individual reviews that Nathan and I write. Don't do it now, though, because we'll be right back to look at Drive-Away Dolls and Rustin. You're listening to Movies 101 on Spokane Public Radio. And we're back. 
This is Movies 101, and I'm your host, Dan Webster. During the first half of the show, Mary Pat Truthart, Nathan Weinbender, and I discussed the Oscar-nominated Vim Vendor's film, Perfect Days. Let's now turn to the work of another filmmaker whose past efforts, though teamed with his brother, have won the admiration of movie fans and critics alike. I'm referring to Ethan Cohen, who, with his brother Joel, has co-directed a number of well-received films such as Fargo and Best Picture winner No Country for Old Men. His latest effort, without the help of Joel, is Drive Away Dolls, a film he co-wrote with his wife, Tricia Cook, two decades ago, and which almost became an Allison Anders feature before funding fell through. Taking over the directorial reins, Cohen tells the story of two friends, Jamie, played by Margaret Qualley, and Marion, played by Geraldine Viswanathan, who in 1999 go on a road trip to Tallahassee, that's in Florida, by the way, only to find themselves the targets of mobsters intent on retrieving a case that's been hidden in their car. The fact that Jamie and Marion are both lesbians and that the contents of the case are the ultimate phallic MacGuffins are important to the story that Cohen is trying to tell. But not much else is either important or very entertaining, except arguably for the performance of Coleman Domingo as one of the pursuers. Drive-Away Dolls does prove one thing. Half the Coen Brothers directing team means half the quality of the final product, maybe even less than half. One of the issues about Drive-Away Dolls is that it has been knocking around, as you said, Dan, for many years. And it's set in 1999. And so you have to sort of put yourself in that world. But it doesn't really feel authentic having been alive during that time period, also having lived in Philadelphia and been a drive-away driver with my friends going to Florida because it was a common thing to do in the Northeast. I always learn so much about your past. <laughs> yeah, it's it. very... I need more stories varied. about yes, that. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but something just didn't work here. And I think that at first I was into the sort of duo of Jamie and Marion. But then it, even that got tiresome after a while. And I think that Margaret Qualley, she went too far in terms of trying to convince us of her Texas origins and the like. I also said to Dan at one point, I'm sorry, this is a person who would not have shaved during that <laughs> era. And that was like distracting to me. So that just shows you how much you can be pulled off center by what's not happening on the screen. So I don't know, would this have played better if we'd been watching this in 2000, perhaps? Does it have some of the features of Coen Brothers films that we appreciate, the sort of noir concept and, you know, you're waiting for the other shoe to drop, literally or figuratively? Yes. Does it have some great performances, most notably the one that you called out? Uh, Coleman Domingo, Col yeah. Coleman Domingo's performance. But yeah, it just didn't come together. Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily agree with your detective work there, Lou, or Dan, I was just using a Fargo quote, about only one half of the Coen brothers making one half of a good movie because we saw Joel Coen do The Tragedy of Macbeth. Well, the wrong own. half then. Well, no, I see, and I think that's unfair. I think that's unfair because I think these two guys together have made some of the greatest films of the last 50 years. I, so the I idea agree. that only one of them is pulling their weight, let's dispense of that. I don't agree with that at all. The problem here is that I think this movie is only half there. And you could lay the blame at Ethan Cohen's feet. He's the director, after all, of Drive Away Dolls. I also liked Bill Camp, who is the <laughs> most Camp, yes. Coen Brothers character in this movie, yeah. as this deadpan guy that runs the drive away service. I like Geraldine Viswanathan, who's been showing up in a lot of things. I agree with you. I think the Margaret Qualley performance is a total miscalculation. I don't think she I, worked see, at all. But that's, I think, the miscalculation here all along. And, you know, a part of 
the disagreements I have with you sometimes, Nathan, when we talk about movies is that I think you go in with an expectation of what a movie should be and you don't accept yeah, the movie good. for what it is. And that's exactly <laughs> what I did with this film because I was expecting the same crack on characterizations Dialogue. And, and everything. And none of it quite works. I thought Coleman Domingo was good. I thought Bill Camp was good. But the two guys who were the two secondary mobsters, you know, think of what Steve Buscemi and... Totally. And, and no, did, you well, know, no I mean, and I'm not saying this is a good movie. I didn't like it either. I'm just saying that I guess I'm defending Ethan Cohen as an artist. I also think this movie's barely 80 minutes long. It feels like giant chunks of it have been just like ripped excised, out. Excised, yeah. It has these really cheesy comic transitions that yes, look like something out of exactly. like Home Improvement it, from yeah, the 90s. Yeah. I was like, what is going on here? And then there's the big reveal of what's in the briefcase. It's just a total ripoff of which, Burn After Reading, which granted this movie was written before or Burn After Reading was made, it made me think maybe Ethan pulled this from that script to put in Burn After Reading. And but that, it was oh, funny in that, right. and it's not funny and in this. And that part didn't make any sense Not really. No, no, and we haven't even mentioned the fact that Miley Cyrus and Matt Damon show up at one point in different sequences. And Pedro Pascal but... in an opening sequence that set me up to really like this movie. Yeah. And it just never quite matches that screwball level that they're trying to go for. They're trying to go for both Hudsucker Proxy and Fargo in mm-hmm. this and yeah. I, I don't think it works. No. But I also I appreciate how just brazenly sexual it is, though. Like yeah. I, I oh, appreciated that yeah. about it. But um, yeah, I wish it came together. I think a you bit could put this in the tightly. category of possibly a good plane watch when you're I, I traveling. I would not watch this on a plane. Oh, okay. unless you're you can cover. Well, it's better the than watching it in the car. I guess. <laughs> I guess so. Well, at any rate, we've still got a few minutes, so let's talk a bit more about Coleman Bingo and his Best Actor nomination for the film Rustin. Many of the names associated with the civil rights movement of the 1950s and 60s are little remembered today. And one of those names is Bayard Rustin. Domingo portrays Rustin in the film, aptly titled Rustin, directed by George C. Wolfe from a script co-written by Julian Brees and Dustin Lance Black. What Wolfe's film contends is that Rustin, though a charismatic and smart activist, was marginalized at least partly because he was openly gay during a time when such a sexual orientation was not only frowned upon, but in many states illegal. While the film itself doesn't have quite the sophistication that Rustin himself deserves, two performances, Domingo's as well as that of another Oscar nominee, Jeffrey Wright, who plays Congressman Adam Clayton Powell, are well worth checking out. Absolutely. And I think that it's hard to figure, of course, his being a gay man is a part of the reason for his marginalization among some of the leadership at the time. But he that, has that this in his life, former communist. That's what I was going to yeah, say. Yeah. I think it's more focused on his past political activity. But he has this ongoing relationship, long-term friendship with Martin Luther King. And so he is at various points during this portrayal of what was happening in the movement at the time, he is either supported by or occasionally ignored by his former friend. And that's part of the centerpiece of this film, if you look at the relationship aspect of it. He also has this sometimes boyfriend who is white, who's helping him, you know, in this movement. There's a little bit of the, all of these people are working together to pull off this march in less than eight weeks. And so there's a little bit of a cheesy feature of people working together, you know, and we see these sort of big reveals. Oh, yes, we did this and we got this. And so I think that aspect of the film 
diminishes the underlying story and maybe doesn't provide the best showcase to bolster Coleman Domingo's talents. Yeah. I mean, this is just another by-the-numbers biopic about a historical figure that was anything but. There were moments because Coleman Domingo plays Rustin, and he must have been this way, as this larger-than-life character, this guy that can't be fit into a box. It's almost like he's going to break out into song at any moment, Mm -hmm. and there are some times when it does. And this movie, I kept thinking, is it going to turn into a musical at some point? Mm -hmm. It has that kind of chirping quality to it. And honestly, that might have been unexpected in a way that, you know, I'd be like, oh, a musical? Okay. (laughs) But for the most part, this is just... It's not focused enough. I think the stuff that's most interesting in Rustin is the things that you just mentioned, his really complicated relationship with Martin Luther King. And, you know, there are whispers about their friendship all throughout the movie. Like, is it something more than that? And Rustin keeps shooting it down, saying, no, that's not true. But I think the most interesting stuff in this are the logistics of putting together an event that would change history because we see it in history books. We see clips of it, but we don't really think about who are the people that had to come together to make it happen. But it doesn't really feel like that's the focus of this movie. I don't know. I This just didn't really work for me either, even though I do agree with you that Coleman Domingo is amazing and everything. I'm really glad he's like popping up in every third right, movie we review these days. He's so good. Yeah, he's yeah. been around in various <laughs> roles. Yeah. I mean, we were talking ahead of time that he was started his acting career in comedy, yeah. which seems somewhat... And he's in two movies on this week's show, so like he's mm-hmm. everywhere right now. But yeah, I think he makes it work when it works. But otherwise, I yeah, I just think this is too formulaic for what this person deserves for a biopic, I well, think. Well, he, he blows everybody else off the screen except for, I think, Jeffrey Wright. There's one yeah. great scene in which the two of them are in a meeting together, and as Jeffrey Wright is Adam Clayton Powell, you know, if other people don't come, particularly Ami Amin, who plays Martin Luther King, if he doesn't come to his aid right then, you know, he's going to lose everything. But Jeffrey Wright, I love what he can do. And he well, plays they, Adam Clayton Powell as an ultimate villain. Well, here. he's another guy that Jeffrey Wright walks on screen. Your eyes go Absolutely. right to him. And both he and Coleman Domingo have that quality. Yeah. At any rate, that was our discussion of Rustin. And this is Movies 101. I'm Dan Webster. And early in the show, Nathan Weinbin and Murray Pat Truthart and I discussed the Oscar-nominated film Perfect Days and the Ethan Cohen movie Drive Away Dolls. Let's take this moment to thank Cassia Fox for both producing and engineering the show. We thank you to our loyal listeners, and we invite you back next week, same time, same spot on the radio dial, when we'll again check out all the best that cinema has to offer, wherever we can find it. Until then, consider these words from the late Zen teacher and author Charlotte Joko Beck. Most of our difficulties, our hopes, and our worries are empty fantasies. Nothing has ever existed except this moment. That's all there is. You're listening to Movies Under One on Spokane Public Radio. The Movies 101 podcast is made possible by the members of Spokane Public Radio. Become a member at spokanepublicradio.org. Thanks for listening to Movies 101.